0: Yeah. I'm happy to have you on this podcast, man. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Um, so I want to kind of, so I've used JotForm actually many times. I'm sure a lot of people listening have, have used JotForm as well. Um, did you start JotForm or is this something that like you're on the board of directors or?
1: No, I'm the, uh, I'm the chief revenue officer with JotForm. I started off here as the uh, chief marketing officer and have transitioned over to chief revenue officer.
0: Awesome. Okay. Perfect. <coughs> and, uh, Okay, and and can you kind of go into the story of of reaching to that level of chief revenue officer and what that entails?
1: Yeah, I mean, as far as
0: uh,
1: going through my whole career, I mean, I kind of slowly worked my way up through the corporate chain, you know, as far as different types of uh, positions started off as just, you know, a writer for uh, one of the large back then big eight accounting firms and slowly worked my way up the corporate ladder. Uh, About four years ago, uh, Jot Farm was looking for a chief marketing officer and approached. you know, I, we kind of both actually approached each other for it. And, um, you know, with the growth and everything that we were experiencing here with the company, with the duties, the expansion of our team, and uh, just, you know, in general growth of new customers and you know, opening up new markets, uh, decided that we needed someone to kind of take the reins of, a, you know, of a bigger responsibility, which is, you know, looking to overseeing all the revenue for the company, uh, in particular, our new enterprise product. And uh, so kind of handed off the day-to-day marketing to our VP of marketing. And now I'm overseeing, you say, the, you know, the
0: role of chief revenue officer. Got it. So, so can you, mm-hmm. can you give me an idea more of like job form? Cause I used it for a while, you know, a few, uh, a year ago, I, I really liked it. Um, and uh, I think I need to, I need to go back to it, but um so jotform is like essentially like forms that you create for like people that you want to fill out forms for uh, to or with and they essentially qualify themselves you know and pretty much they you can it be used for
1: surveys oh yeah definitely yeah i mean the, the okay. beauty of jotform is it's, it's a very uh it's a very easy to use platform i mean it's drag and drop so yeah. you know everybody says hey there's no code well jotform is kind of one of the original no code kind of organizations <laughs> because our interface has always been a drag and drop. So you can bring in various fields you want to have, you know, name, address, phone number, uh, yes, no questions, survey questions. You can rate questions, you know, one to five, one to seven, Absolutely. whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Uh, open-ended questions, all those things. So you can, you can customize your form to be whatever it is that you want it to have and the sequence you want it to have. Got you it. Also, you can also put in things – uh, and, and this particular relates uh, for surveys. Uh, you can put in things like conditional logic. So if somebody answers a question and says, you know, as a yes/no question, if they answer yes, maybe you want to ask them three more questions. Okay. And if they answer no, it skips them. Well, if they answer yes, those three questions will display because you'll 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 set it up in such a way that yeah, if answer equals yes, then show A, B, and C, those kinds of things. So I
0: love if, that. I love yeah,
1: that. It's very easy for someone to use and create you know, really whatever kind of workflow they want to have and how they want to process it. We've got a lot of different types of companies ranging from, you know, Disney and Red Bull use it for, for, you know, their services to, we have, you know, small, you know, startups that have might have three people and they're taking orders online for their products.
0: I love it. So you can, you can take orders online, um, through, through job form. I, I don't remember if that, that being a, like a feature, was that a new feature that's been added recently?
1: No, it's been around for a very long time. Uh, we work okay. with about uh, more than twenty payment processors, including you know groups such as Stripe, uh, Square, PayPal. Uh, you know those types of uh, those types of organizations. As long as you have an account with those with those groups, you can just come in there and just say, "Well, I want to add a payment field in there," and you drag yeah. and drop. You drag that onto your form, and then you put in your you'll log into your, you know, your payment account, whether it's say it's Stripe or, you know, or Square or whatnot. And uh, instantly it's linked up and now you can start taking uh, payments online.
0: Got it. Okay. Um, okay, cool. So I love, I, I used to love JotForm. I don't know why I stopped using it. I should try, probably get back on it. I'm going to definitely get back on it. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so just to be clear, it's just, it's a, it, it's uh codeless forms that you can create online to help qualify prospects that come into your company.
1: Uh, Yeah. I would say that's actually, that's one thing you can use it for. I mean, you can use it for, you know, uh, as a lead generation, we have companies using it, I mean, to sell products. So they're, you know, they've got whatever features they want to have on their products and they can take orders online. People are using it to take um, uh, job applications instead of using some of the more expensive, uh, you know, online HR types of products like Taleo and some of those, they're actually just creating their own and they can track them easier and they can customize them to make it whatever they want it to be. I love it. I love plus, it. You know, plus it integrates with every with company workflows are so using Google Sheets or Salesforce or, um, you know, uh, HubSpot, those types of CRM products. You can take your data that you're collecting through JotForm and just, you know, automatically integrate it and port it into your CRM system if you want.
0: I love that. I love that. Okay. So I want to go, kind of go into the, to more of your backstory. So you, you said the job form kind of picked you up. It was mutually like you were both interested in each other. You worked for an auditing firm or like a book, like a CPA firm at one point?
1: Uh, no, I worked well. I mean, I've worked for a lot of different kinds of organizations. I've worked in, yeah. this, in, this, in the SAS world for probably about, oh God, almost 25 years now, going back to 95. I love but, it. But I've had, uh, I've run my own two startups. I've worked at startups. I've worked in the student loan industry. I've worked in the transportation industry internationally. I spent uh, three years working in Sydney. Um, so there's been a, uh, my- Why don't I hear
0: audit? I don't know why I heard audit. for some
1: Oh, thing. no, I did to know. Audit is uh, not, nothing that I've done in my professional career.
0: Gotcha. I, d- I don't know why I heard that, but maybe I just need to- um, I I'm just like selective hearing or something, but uh, okay, cool. So, so you, you had experiences like, was it, is it hard to go from like separate, like into different industries? Like you said, 25 years into SAS, but how many industries have you been part of? Would you say? I've
1: probably been part of it. Well, for, for a, a number of those years, I also ran my own consulting business, my own marketing consulting business. Got it. Probably about 10 years worth of that, maybe even longer, maybe closer to 12 years of that. What you find out is that a lot of companies, well, I should say a lot of industries, they really have similar marketing issues they're all wrestling with. And so you can take something that happens in the finance world and apply it to the software world and apply that to the healthcare world. So I'd probably say about 80, 85% of the marketing challenges are probably identical across all industries. It's that last maybe 15% where they become unique to those own industries. And and if you understand how business works and how those industries work, then you can basically kind of pick up on that extra 15% and make, and make sense of it all.
0: That makes sense. I feel too many companies are too, too focused on that 15% and not on the 85%.
1: Well, I think that's very true as I, it's kind of, I always liken it to bands. Go always say, well, yeah, but can you play our music? Um, (laughs) <laughs> yes yeah, that's, yeah, that's fine yeah. i mean if you're a good musician you can play anybody's music and a good marketer can move from the world of finance to the world of healthcare to the world of software and, and technology uh, because again those challenges that companies face are, are very very similar you know they're trying to they're trying to get new customers they're trying to get new leads they're trying yeah. to increase revenue they're trying to lower costs um, you know as a marketer you understand that and you should be able to you know, to, to, move, move around the company and make that work. And then you can take what you learn, I say in one industry and apply it, you know, for the most part in another industry.
0: Absolutely. I, I agree with you hundred percent, but everybody, like every company I talk to is like, Oh, what, what experience do you have in this industry? Unless I have a strong relationship, you know, with them and then they're like, yeah, I'll, I'll work with you because I like you and you're a good person, you know? Um, but for the most part, yeah, that, that happens. But I think I agree with you. Like you can, you can spread marketing across any industry as long as you have the core principles understood, right? Like qualitative, qualitative quantitative analyses, things like that. So like what, what would you say um, regarding like what do you, th- what do you think most co- – so let me give you an idea. Have you listened to my podcast by any chance? Yes, I have. Oh, you have. Okay. So uh, people that are listening to this podcast are, are people that have a growth mindset. They, they want to take their company to the next level. So it could be somebody that has, you know, as a startup, it could be somebody that already is in the NASDAQ on NASDAQ and they want to take it to the next level that, that that's like the, the range of people that we have listening to this podcast management consulting firms, people that want to take their, their company to the next level. Um, what do you think most people uh, make the mistakes in regarding their marketing efforts? I think a
1: lot of people just they, they chase trends uh, rather than really understanding their customer. And I think this is you know this to me is marketing one one. You have to know who your customer is, yeah. How they make their decisions, where they get their information about you know products and services, um, you know really what is the pain point you're trying to address because those customers have a. a a pain and they're trying to get a solution to it. And it's up to you as that marketer to identify those key points. And so if you take, if you take all those together and you do your research properly, you understand now how to go after those key markets that are gonna bring that revenue and, and push that new service, that new product out into the marketplace and make it profitable. What I see a lot of people doing is they, is they try to take big shortcuts. And they'll say things like, well, let's dump a lot of money into AdWords or let's dump a lot of money into uh, SEO or let's just send out direct mail or let's buy a Super Bowl ad or something like that. They don't understand their audience and they don't understand who they're trying to reach and what message they're trying to say. They're trying to appeal to everybody. And And this comes back to know that customer. Know who that niche customer is you're going after and then go after them with a vengeance because that's how you grow a business. That's what we've done here at JotForm. Yeah, And that's what I've done really any place I've ever been at.
0: What's your, what's your niche customer at job
1: Well, I mean, it, it, this is the irony of job Now I'm going to probably contradict myself here is we have <laughs> customers uh, as I, sometimes what I can say is our customer base is, is a foot deep, but 10,000 miles across because wow. they, whether it's a, someone like a Disney or a Red Bull or a Facebook or, you know, those types of organizations to a small mom and pop bakery, they have identical issues they're wrestling with. They want to create a contact form because they want to get more sales. They want to create something that's going to get a workflow going. So they're collect. They're in, basically. They need the process to collect information in a very easy way to, to you know, to kind of put that interface out into the marketplace and then have it integrate into their workflow. And for, you know, for, it may be something as sophisticated as some, you know, hardcore Salesforce solutions, or maybe they're just porting it into a spreadsheet and somebody wants to sort the data. So the problem is how do I get data? And then how do I get it into a system, AKA my workflow and get this thing analyzed. And so companies, and this is what, you know, you really kind of sheds the light on here at Jotform. You find that companies have the same problem. It's the scale of the problem that changes
0: Hmm. I got it, yeah, the scale of the problem for sure um and so I want to ask you do you, like with your with regards to your surveys, like I'm almost like selfishly asking this for myself, it's like sorry, sorry audience, but um like so for for surveys, can you do something where like I can get a notification that says this many people answered with this answer? Is that, is that possible? Or how do you recommend doing surveys and how do you recommend implementing that into companies? Cause I feel like the more customers I get, I'm like, I need to do surveys.
1: Yeah. I think surveys are the place you want to start. And again, it comes down to, you know, without knowing the specifics of how you're trying to survey, sometimes open-ended questions are the best way to get information. Sometimes you want to, you know, what's the likelihood you would buy this rated on a scale of one to five, something like that. And then once you get that information and then you can look at it and go, well, give me everybody that rated a purchase of say five, right, which is yeah, mm. extremely likely to buy. You sort that data, and then you can look at whatever other information you've collected, whether it's demographic, whether it's re- regional, whether it's you know, uh, whether it's purchasing ability, all these different kinds of issues that you're trying to address. There, you can look at that and think, okay. If they come in at a five or let's say you want a four, which is, you know, extremely likely yeah. to buy or definitely going to be buying, you might look at that and go, where are the common threads? Are they in California? Are they in New York? Are they in Florida, Texas? Are they in Canada, Australia? Wherever these people might be located, where do they want to buy? When be what price points? What, you know, what problem they're trying to solve with this? When you're right. looking at that information on those surveys, really kind of the answers start to present themselves to you. And, and again, what people try to do is say, well, I want this to appeal to everybody. And so they start making compromises because the people that that are really on the definitely going to buy this, if it can do this, and maybe the price point is say $99, somebody else is going to say, well, I think it's only worth $9. Well, that's not really your market. And so if you make something that's say $19, try to bring up that low end, you might turn off that high end. And that's, and that's part of the problem that companies run into as a, they tried to serve all masters and you really can only serve, you know, the one master.
0: Totally, totally agree. Um, and, uh, okay. So th- this is a, I, I want to bring up like a hotly debated topic here. So y- usually when I go into companies, right, I, what happens is depends on how large the company is, but the, the companies that I see that are the most successful just because I've been in so many companies I've, I've dissected, you know, what what is successful? What's not successful? And I feel like most of the companies that are the most successful are the the companies that have sales and marketing departments work in harmony, as opposed to like in a, in opposition, right? Because that's what happens with a lot of companies. Like when you get like you get a lot of companies that like are mid size, and uh, those the the sales departments and the marketing departments are in opposition almost. Do you feel that happens a lot? And do you feel like what? How do you feel? what do you think you should, we should do to address that? If that occurs in a, in a company that somebody's owning.
1: Yeah. Well, I see sales and marketing, as two sides of the same coin. Um, you know, yeah. really, you, you, there's two parts of it really here. Now sales are, they're your frontline people, but they're also your eyes and ears on the ground. And if you're a smart marketer, you listen to your salespeople cause they're going to come back with customer feedback. Now, that being said, you don't want to sit there and, and, and change what you're doing all the time because one salesperson comes back and says, "Well, this customer would buy it if we lowered our price, or this customer would do it if we had it in blue." That may be a single data point, and it may just be a kind of a side comment that that, sell, that, that salesperson collected. It's still valuable information, and you want to and you want to tuck it away. But what you get out of that is is really, as I call it, live fire marketing research because you pick it up in real time and you can actually, if if you've got the salesperson kind of trained on a marketing perspective, they can go in there and ask, well, why would you want that in blue? Or what do you, why do you think that price point's important? How many of these would you buy? Do you know anybody else that would buy it in blue at this price point? Those kinds of things. Yeah. And so you want them to start doing that. But now what marketing does is they can help provide, the messaging they can provide the collateral they can provide the research and say all right here's leads that we know that we want to generate here's a typical customer for us this is their their you know their hospitals in florida that have more than 125 beds go after these guys there's you know there are we're dealing with oncologists or we're dealing with you know radiologists let's say you know if you're in the healthcare world or we're looking at families that have small children so you're not going to be going after people that have teenagers or college age students or college age kids. You're going to be going after people that have kindergartners and preschoolers and those kinds of things. And so, you know, salespeople got lots of them working, working with us here, and they're great at what they do, but the end of the day, they want to make sales. And so that's what they want to do. They want to, they want to hit numbers, but sometimes the numbers that they're hitting kind of you know, markets that they may go after might steer your company in a direction that's, it's a one-time deal. And so you don't want to sit there and have uh, one deal derail the entire company because, you know, you might sell a million dollars of the product to one company that's a one and done, but there's 20 million laying out there that now you've suddenly confused these other companies that wanted to buy from you that said, well, I don't know who you guys are anymore because I thought you were doing these in red and you were selling them at 50 bucks and it was for high quality. Now you're selling them at a cut rate price at for blue. Well, that doesn't mean anything to me anymore. Right. It's like, I thought you guys were something else. And, and so that's, right. that's the thing. I would say marketers kind of, kind of have to hold the reins on the salespeople a little bit uh, to just make sure they don't go off the deep end.
0: Yeah, I know. I understand. Yeah. As I, as somebody that's both a marketer, the two sides of the same coin you said, it's right. absolutely correct. But I, but I don't know. I kind of disagree with that. Um, because I, I feel like they're so different in, uh, in many, in many, uh, aspects. Um, like for instance, the sales, you know, I would consider sales as more, um, going out, talking to everyone and figuring out, talking to somebody that is interested in your product, but going through a lot of, you know, cold prospects to get to the warm prospect. That's how I feel sales is. Marketing is more like go find the right prospect, understand your client really well, and just talk to the right prospects consistently. Am I wrong in that assessment? Do you disagree with that? Well, no,
1: that, and no I think you're correct, but that's what, I'm, that's, that's what I was getting to, is that if you, if you do your, your research right and you do your preparation right, you know who yeah. they should be talking to. Yeah. And so you're not sifting through a lot of garbage leads or just say, look, start dialing the phone and start making appointments. And and sell whatever you can sell to whoever was willing to buy it. If you do it right, you can produce good high quality leads that have a greater potential of closing because you're focused on what on your market. You know who your market is, you know who your customer is, because you know what pain point your product can solve for those customers. And so what you point then is your salespeople in the direction of, look, we're going after universities that have more than 10,000 students, we're going after hospitals yeah. that have more than 125 beds, those kinds of things. And the more, the more detail you can provide your sales team, the better, it is, the, the better it is and the easier it is for them to close deals because now you're addressing true problems that those companies are trying to solve.
0: Well, well let me see, let, let me, I, I feel like there's two, two aspects to a sale most of the time. You want the right prospect and then you also want the right interest level. Would you, would you agree? Oh, correct. So right right prospect, right interest level. Do you feel like marketing uh, addresses both of those and sales addresses just one? I feel like sales just addresses one, marketing addresses both.
1: Yes, they do. Marketing addresses both because, again, you're identifying who that customer yeah. is and yeah. then you're identifying what that problem is that they have and and you can hopefully solve for them. And then what you do then is you send that salesperson off to that, talk to that person and say, here, this is what we know of them. This is what we have of them. You know, maybe, and, and again, there's two types of sales, right? There's outbound and inbound. You know, if, if you create, say, a lead form and they're coming in and you can kind of screen those leads early on, great, you, you've picked up a lot. Otherwise, you're saying, here's a bunch of names and phone numbers, dial for dollars. And, yeah. that's, a, and that's a completely different mindset and a completely different challenge that
0: companies have to face. So you said one of the main, main uh, mistakes companies make is they follow too many of the trends out there and they try to jump on, on a, a bandwagon that everybody's on at the moment, but may not be all that, um, successful, you know, uh, and isn't all that prudent moving forward, um, what are, what are examples of those trends that people make mistakes with? Like, can you give me like an example of what a lot of people, a lot of companies do that really, really hurts their bottom line and their marketing?
1: Yeah. I think a lot of it is they try to be companies can be, try to be hip so to speak. You know, they want to be, Hey, we want to appeal to millennials and we want to do this and we, well, your core market may not be to age 35. Your core market may be 40 plus. Right. And they, different needs for different marketplaces. Uh, Likewise, it was about two, two, three years ago now, uh, there was this big pivot for marketing. Everybody said, we need to go to video. We need to do online video. That's the biggest thing. Facebook says we should do online video. Well, the only one that was a real beneficiary, that was Facebook because everybody started buying more video advertising on Facebook. And then Facebook came back and said, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. We're getting rid of the video. Now all these companies that had pivoted, Suddenly we're left. They didn't know what to do anymore. They had abandoned all their other channels. They put all their money into something that was not returning any investment for them. Right. And then they're, so they're, they don't, again, this sort of comes back to, they don't understand who their customer is. They don't understand how that customer is consuming information. They don't understand where that customer is based out of. They're just going by whatever they heard out in the wind and saying, Oh, we should be pivoting the video because that's what everybody seems to be doing. Well, you know, to quote like your grandmother, just because Johnny jumps off a cliff doesn't mean you got to do it too. Right. You know, just because and I say because your competitors do it doesn't mean that makes sense for you.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, what about like platforms where if you're early in the, early in the game, you can get really, really great organic reach. Like what are your thoughts on that? Cause like I, I was early in, uh, into, uh, LinkedIn, um, you know, I've, generated a big following on linkedin it's dropped my organic reach has dropped a bit um but around 20 million views on linkedin um and uh but do you feel like like what what are your thoughts on jumping on a platform that isn't really noticed by a lot of people but has a lot of potential
1: no i think there's there's extreme value to it so like you i was an early adopter on linkedin i did a lot of playing around early on on twitter those types of things um you know, not, Hey, not all platforms are going to (laughs) succeed. Some, some kind of shoot out and they die quickly and others have legs. And that's true. uh, But, you know, I think one of the things is that when you go out there, there's, you know, in marketing parlance, we call them, you know, innovators, they're out there on the cutting edge and they're trying to get information. So when something pops up, that might be a market that you're after. You're after these people that are willing to take some risks and are willing to be way out there on that cutting edge. And that's where they're at. So you can be a big fish in a small pond and bring a lot of attention to yourself and bring a lot of attention to your company and your products and and then sell. And then as that starts to grow, then you start to appeal to more of the early adopters and then you get to more of the mass marketing things. So your growth as let's say followers or whatever makes may slow down. Well, that's because it's hard to maintain a 20, 30, 40% growth rates on things when you're adding you know, hundreds, you know, millions of people every month are coming on board on something because one, your competition starts to come in. Two, there's more people with diverse types of interests and they're not all yours. But the key to it is, is if you're going to come in there and be an expert on something or you're going to be positioned as we're the product that can solve this, that's what you should be at. Don't go, well, today we're the experts on on diamonds and then tomorrow, no, we're the experts on wicker baskets. <laughs> that, you know, yeah. that does, that's, that's, one, that makes gonna, you look bad. Yeah. yeah, well, it makes you look horrible because it just looks like you just some kind of a fly-by-night organization at that point. And why would I ever want to put any money towards you?
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Honestly, it makes a lot of sense. Um, okay. And uh, what are other, like, mistakes that you see companies making or executives making that – maybe they shouldn't be making like maybe like you said marketing one one like are there are there like obvious things that a lot of companies make mistakes in that are just like wow i can't believe you're doing that
1: yeah i think some of it is a humor is a very 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 high wire to walk out and i see companies that go out there and they think they're funny because maybe their friend or neighbor thinks they're funny and they'll go out there and they'll write something and they'll try to be funny and it totally backfires.
0: Completely. Yeah. Like from a PR perspective, you're saying
1: PR perspective or just the audience goes, I don't get the joke or why are you making fun of us? Or you can think yeah. us as your customers are a joke. You know, we're going to go someplace else and do this. And so, you know, it's kind of this where you hold your, you hold your customers in contempt in some respects. And that, and that's a big problem. So I think companies, if you're going to be humor, you better be funny uh, because yeah. if you're not, you're really going to have a lot of ground to make up on
0: maybe hire a comedian. I don't know.
1: Well, you know, again, it's, it's, it depends on your, on your type of industry and depends on what you're trying what kind of positioning what kind of branding you're trying to put out there. Uh, some comics turn audiences off. Some bring audiences in, um, you know, there's, there's uh, uh, I can't think of the name of their, it's, it's a man's underwear. Uh, product and I see them selling every so often on ESPN and they're hilarious I mean their ads they know who their market is they're going after primarily like probably 18 to 30 year olds and trust me I'm no longer in that marketplace yeah but I find their ads entertaining because they know what they're trying to do they know exactly who their market is and that's what they're doing it's it's the same thing like dollar shave club did a couple of years back when they were just kind of just having fun with their commercials. And, but they brought humor and they did it in an effective way, but that's who their marketplace was going after. And it, you know, if they were going after, say 45 year olds, that never would have worked right.
0: Yeah. What, wh- how do you market to 45 year olds? Like, uh, like I would like to know that that's a great demographic.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, it really I, I, it comes down to is knowing who they are, knowing what their wants and needs are i mean comes yeah. back to marketing 101 i mean it's kind of sometimes age is, is is irrelevant when it comes to some of these things if you've got a 45 year old that's like hey wait a second i want to i want more trips i don't i'm i'm i no longer need to stay in the cheap you know cheap motel cheap hotel i want something nicer now well fine find out who those people are find out what what kind of amenities they want at your facilities Find out what price points they want to have, and see if you can appeal to that. See if you can how match you, that for them.
0: How do you go about getting that that information? You got to
1: research, them. you got to start research. researching travelers. You got to go out there and 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 you, sometimes you got to go out and buy third party research. You got to pay someone to go out there and talk to, uh, you know, forty five to fifty year olds or forty to fifty year olds that are out there traveling a lot, and say, how many nights? What kind of hotels do you stay at? What are you looking for in a hotel? What do you wish your hotels offered that they don't? Um, those kinds of things you know, those are those are some pretty simplistic types of issues. Um, I'll give you an example. One thing for us uh, in the medical world, in the healthcare world, doctors still hand out paper forms and they fill these things out. I was at, uh, last year I went and got a, got a, my annual physical and the doctor gives me a whole stack of papers to fill out. And I said, you don't need this anymore. I said, what do you guys do with this paper? And he says, well, then I give it to one of my assistants and then she'll type it all into our system. And then so it was a lot of busy work, gave her my card. And I said, you guys, we could completely digitize your office and make this whole thing work right for you. And wow. they loved it. And that's the whole point of this thing, right? Is how do you, how do you get rid of some of the pain points they had? And that's what, you know, he didn't know. He just knew this is what we do, but he had no idea that he had a problem, how to solve it.
0: And then mm. I, gave, I gave him a solution to it and he worked out great. So, so is your primary role uh, in, in at Jotform? Is it primarily marketing, or do you have like other roles that you that you have in the company?
1: I wear many hats at <laughs> Jotform. So, uh, <laughs> marketing is 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 kind of falling. It, it, it's just it's not the biggest piece of my day anymore. Uh, it's wow. really, it's growing a new division that we've built here at Jotform. We have a new enterprise product, so. Uh, my job there is to, is to grow that division, but I also manage our San Francisco office. So I do things like I look at insurance documents and contracts and all sorts oh, of, fun stuff. All all the fun other, stuff. yeah, a lot of administrative <laughs> kind of duties. Um, you know, so some days you're, you're, you're reviewing agreements and some days you're looking at insurance documents and some days you're looking at employment agreements. So there's a lot of different things that I do here. Uh, but I say, you know, 80% of it right now is, is let's grow this, this new this new product line that we're, that we're putting out there. And, uh, it's so far so good. Tell me about the enterprise uh, product line. What does that entail? Yeah, the enterprise or enterprise product is, is really an exciting, it, it's kind of an extension of our, of our traditional job Farm product, but what it really does is it addresses larger corporations that have bigger needs. And so they might have multiple users at one location. Uh, you might let's say we've got a university and, some of them might have had 20 different people that signed up for a JotFarm account. While well, all 20 of those people are doing it individually, there's kind of no overall management of the product. And so what we offer now is you can have, say, an administrative role and then a user role within it, because now that university is collecting all that data under one umbrella and somebody can manage it. Because previously what would happen is, let's say the, the athletics department was co- was collecting some information, the humanities department had another. The business department had another. Well, now if one of those accounts should happen to get, you know, the data gets leaked out, somebody hacks your account or something like that. You, let's say you're putting it into a, a Google sheet and somebody hacks your Google account, all that data is now out, and now you got a problem on your hands, right? Because you've got you've got data leakage, and if you're under GDPR rules or CCPA rules, you've got real problems when it comes to privacy. What? Enterprise allows is those companies now that kind of have all that managed by one person so they can put all that data into kind of like their repository, however they normally manage their data. The other thing it does is we allow them to have, uh, you can store data, We've, since we have so many international clients, um, a lot of companies, a lot of countries like to have, uh, and they have laws for it, that they have to have data stored within their borders. So if you're in Australia or Canada or Germany or whatever, we can take our servers and we can have your data stored within your country's borders and you don't have to worry about it, you know, being stored someplace else and having it open up to data hacks or anything like that. Um, I love it. So, you know, it, it, it's kind of, it was, well, in one respect, it's JOT form on steroids because it really addresses those pain points that uh, enterprise companies have, right? So they wanna have, my finance department has needs because they wanna get, say, uh, an approval form for paying off a an invoice. Our HR department wants to have a way to collect, uh, you know, maybe employee information or maybe they want ha- to collect uh, applications from, from pr- prospective employees, those kinds of things. And so you can have a system put together that it's managed well, it's, it's properly executed, and then you can control who has access to what data. And that way if an employee leaves, they don't leave and take the account with them and take all the data with them. Right? because now you've got your CTO or your CIO or your IT director whoever is kind of maybe overseeing that whole process for them and and they can make sure that they you know it's following all the best practices for security and best practices for uh, maybe branding those kinds of things so there's that part of it um, you know i mean it's just it, it's just such a much more robust kind of a system. Again, because everybody has, every one of our enterprise users is on a, say they're on a dedicated server, they're not on shared servers. So there's no, you know, the lag time is practically in, you know, non-existent. Um, it, it's just a much, much, much more robust kind of product that really addresses, you know, what the enterprise needs are.
0: So cool. So we've talked about some interesting things so far. Um, like, I want to go more into the challenges you've had. Can we, can we talk about that? Uh, challenges at job form or challenges in, in general? Oh, well, challenges in business that you've had. It could be at job whatever the case may be. It just sure. is whatever you're comfortable talking about. Um, sure. But like, what, what, do you, what would you say is, has been your most challenging moment, um, at the, of, you know, at this stage in your career? I
1: think probably the most challenging moment is, it, it probably was early in my career when a lot of companies still didn't quite understand marketing. Um, And I'm talking like when I was fresh out of grad school with MBAs and things like that. And some, even before I got my MBA, a lot of companies didn't understand marketing. They thought, well, we run a few ads and that's marketing. And you have to kind of educate them. Though, no advertising is the is the last part of the marketing process. There's
0: a yeah, knowing,
1: knowing who your customer is, how you're going to put your research together, how you're going to message it, all these other kinds of things, and out of that comes your advertising campaigns. Um, and a lot of them just said, "Well, we run one ad on a Friday, and that'll that'll solve our problems, and we don't need <laughs> to spend any more money." And so you've got to re- teach them there's consistency. You've got to teach them how the process is, um, you know, where, where your consumers are and where they, where they get their information. I can remember, um, and I don't know how I survived this, this meeting, but I did, uh, it was a, a meeting of our board of directors. And, uh, one of them was, he probably was north of 70. Let's just say that we were trying to attract, uh, 21 to 30 year olds. That was our market. Mm-hmm. And so he, in this in this meeting, I'm doing a, my quarterly presentation of what our results are, and, he's, and he pipes up and says, "I never see any of our advertising, so you know I don't even know what's going on out there. What are you guys doing with all of this? Adver- I see the money being spent, but I never see it. So on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. yeah. And I just said, well, to be honest with you, you should never see our advertising because if you did see our advertising, I'm not doing my job right. Nice. And he. But kinda, yeah, he, he, he he kind of sat back like stunned look and people were staring. At him. I said, because I said, quite frankly, you're not our target market. Our target market yeah. are our 21 yeah. to 30 year olds. Our market yeah. is this, and this is the message you're trying to tell. I said, you are not the person that would generally take, take go for this product. And yeah. he kind of thought for a second and he kind of just kept staring at me. He goes, yeah, he goes, you're right. <laughs> but, but for <laughs> a few moments, my, my career flashed before my eyes at that point. So it's it's kind of explaining to them that, you know, you, there's market segmentation, that there's, you know, different messages for different types of markets and different kinds of products. Again, they think you just throw dollars at, a, at something and it'll, it'll work, right? And that's not, again, you got to spend the money wisely.
0: You, you got you to gotta do your market research first probably oh, have yeah. to do some branding to put some trust out into the marketplace. Right. Exactly. Or, or, or you can take the, um, the mindset that you have to brand with your advertising as opposed to trying to convert people. Right. Right. Is that what you, yeah. Okay,
1: cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Almost a big believer in, you know, branding, branding is, 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 a, is, you know, the key to it all. Right. If you got the right brand, the right message, you've got everything in there, right. You do it right. Your customers will, will buy from you. It's the right message at the right time at the right place. It comes back to the, the original four P's of marketing. Um, If you follow those, you do well. And that's really what it comes down to. You've got to have all those pieces put together in the right spot in the right sequence to make it work. Right.
0: So, so, okay. So that was a challenging moment that I I, I need, I need like a really, really challenging moment. Like, was that the most challenging moment you've had in, in, uh, in your business career?
1: No, I think probably the most challenging moment for me was uh, when I went to go work in Sydney. Um, They had three different departments. Um, Sydney's got a very elaborate bus, rail, and ferry system. And they had a marketing department in each one of those. And they wanted somebody to come in to help put that together. They wanted to merge those three departments together and make it work. Wow. Now here I am. I was at the time, I was a guy from Southern California. Uh, my then wife was Australian. That's about as much as I knew about Australia as a story she told about me. Uh, <laughs> this job packed up the whole family, moved across the Pacific and, and go there. Uh, hoping this thing is going to work. Um, come to find out what they wanted with somebody that didn't have any background on the uh, the politics that went on before they want somebody to just understood marketing and some management. Mm-hmm. They want somebody that knew that and can make decisions based on that. Um, so maybe I was young still and kind of naive and I said, I can do this. No problem got there and I had to combine, you know, all three of these different departments that had previously been at at loggerheads with each other because the bus people were trying to steal from the trail, the rail people who were Uh, trying to steal from the ferry people. And I said, guys, our common enemy is the car and to a lower extent, shoe leather. Now (laughs) real. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I found out is, um, later on when somebody said well we got to get somebody they i think they said let's find somebody dumb enough to take on this project and if this doesn't work we can blame it on the yank and toss them overboard uh but i went down <laughs> and said i'm gonna make this thing work and um did you make it work it made it work it weren't it great it worked out like a champ and um you know wow. combined three different cultures and three different marketing departments and made it work i mean you had a had to fire a few people because they just didn't want to they didn't want to change or they were trying to sabotage the efforts of everybody else. And you got to, you know, you sometimes you got uh, a clean house, early mentors said, uh, Always make a sacrifice at the altar to show everybody else you mean business. And uh,
0: yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. I, I yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right. I, no, especially like you, you have a negative, uh, a negative apple or a bad apple in, in the, in the bunch like that bad apple can make the whole, company you know fall oh, yeah. to be honest you know just one so yep. i feel like there, there should be there should be no, a no tolerance policy for anybody that's negative yeah um and like what are your thoughts on that
1: well i, I agree because it's very easy for that one person to kind of just ruin a really you know corporate culture is very much a very delicate balance and one person can ruin it in a heartbeat and uh you know every company i've been at you see these people that you know and marketing and business problems, you know, I've always called them snipers because all they do is they lay in the bushes and wait to take a shot at somebody, <laughs> and, and that's what they do. They just they're no, I don't like doing that, I don't feel like doing that. They're just negative about everything and they just tear everybody down in the process. Yeah, um, what made me feel kind of good about letting the main sniper go and when I was in Sydney is I got a lot of anonymous thank you notes. <laughs> it's like, we've been waiting for years for someone to finally get rid of this person. And really? And Nobody wants to mention it. You know what? It, it was one of these things where people just tolerated this individual and said, well, you know how they are. Don't worry about, it. you know, it's like, just ignore this person. Well, it pulls everybody else down along with it. And then by once we got rid of it, One, it motivated people that went like, Oh my God. Yeah. He does mean business. And then also it's like, Oh, we could finally get rid of, you know, this negative cloud and just move on, move on and get things
0: done. Negative, negative people permeate organizations like nothing else. Like it's like, uh, like, I, I don't know if you've heard this before, but the, you know, one person enters a room that's negative and it makes everyone else all the positive people, negative. It just takes one person. Oh yeah, And, uh, and so yeah i totally agree like why didn't they say something like what if so many people dislike this person why didn't they why don't people say something because they're like they're like oh i don't want to be that person that's like tattletaling. is that how they feel yeah a little bit of that a little
1: bit of is just you know that's that's how this person is so just let's ignore this person and and let it go and and the funny thing is you know you sit in a meeting and no one, and everybody was afraid to speak up because this person would be, well, that's a dumb idea. Why do we ever wanna do something like that? And so every time somebody floated an idea, this individual would just shoot it out of the sky. And I'd only been there maybe three or four months. And I was like, this is gonna be, this is my big problem, child, I gotta solve this. I went to my, the powers that be and said, this is my this is my problem here. This is what I want to do about it. And They said, do it. <laughs> and so we, uh, I just said, look, this is the deal: either you're going to change your attitude, or you're going to walk out the door. And this person said, I'm not doing that. And I said, well, then there's the door. Here's your seven. Usually, usually,
0: that's what they'll say, anyways, right? Usually, I, I, I won't change. I won't change. Yeah. But for somebody that's like has a good attitude is like, okay, I'll try to adjust. I'll <clears throat> try to work with the team. I'll try to, you know, do do what I can. And I I, I sincerely apologize for any, yeah. you know missteps I made you know I think that's what um, I think that's what a lot of people uh, that are positive would do is you know and and and, you know you have to hire I think uh, you tell me your thoughts on this but hiring people with good hearts a players that have good hearts you know
1: yeah I mean that's something that we do here at Jotform. now we've you know we've like any company you want to you look for talent you want to make sure that person's going to be you know have the talent to do the job they've got that skill set but also you gotta make sure that person's gonna fit in with your corporate culture. Um, and that's something that we take we add yeah, it, it adds definitely. to our hiring definitely. process. Um, the huge impediment
0: sure. to companies that want to grow fast. Was that
1: I uh, so it's one of the things that we spend a lot of time doing here then is because you'll look at people and go, all things considered equal, they all have the same skill sets. But which one's right. gonna be the better fit? So we spend an awful lot of time kind of talking to people and trying to uh, is this person going to, uh, is it an act? Is this person really nice? Or is this person going to become a problem going forward? So we try to get a multitude of different um, uh, people just having general conversations during the interview process just to find out, to, to get get their feelings and get their reading on people. And, you know, as a result of that, one, you hire good quality people that have a great skill set They can come in. But also you get people that you can work with. Because there's nothing worse than wanting you got to go to work and you've got the, that dark cloud, that negative person pulling it all down. You want to have somebody in there that you can work alongside. Um, you don't have to be their best friend, but it's somebody that can contribute and is just not going to be that negative person in the workplace. You know, they're not going to poison the well every
0: day. Absolutely. Uh, what are what are some signs of a bad person working or a, a, neg- a bad apple working in the workplace?
1: uh you know they just kind of have a negative comment about everything you'll know, be like okay we use we use for example here at, at job Farm, we use google office so we use google sheets google docs those kinds of things why don't we use microsoft documents we've been using that for years that's what everybody else uses why do we have to well this is how we do things here well why it's like because this is what we do. We found this was a better fit for us and it works better, you know, across borders for our, 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 our international employees, things like that. <laughs> okay. And then proceeds then to complain every day about how Microsoft Office is better than Google Office, Google, <laughs> something like that. Or we'll complain about the Office music. Something, you know, we, we rotate in our office, everybody can play... Um, you know, we call it DJ for the day. And everybody gets to, over a couple of weeks, you get to have your day and you get to pick what music we're gonna to listen to in the office and that's how we're, well, I don't like that kind of music. I don't think we should, well, you know, then on your day of DJing, you can play your music, right? And so it's it's this person that nothing seems to make them happy. They always seem to have a negative comment about something somewhere, or they, they're they just not contributing positive, you know, they never have anything good to say. They never have a positive contribution on anything. Um, And so you look at that and you think why that person just is not gonna work out here because no one wants to work alongside this individual. And so as a result of that, you just have to say, you know, this isn't gonna work, let's go. So, you know, a a few toe stubs that we've had here, we've solved those problems and now we know what to look for. No, I I think it really comes down to is you, um, if you get somebody that just doesn't have anything kind of positive to say or positive to contribute, it just, it, it takes the people that are really positive and are happy and want to work on things and, and, you know, want to contribute. It just makes them more cautious. So it just, it dulls everything in the, and in, in, in the way. And then people just, Oh God, you know, they just, it takes a lot of energy to be, to play defense. And that's what these people, and, that, and that's what your good employees end up having to do is, is put time towards defense as opposed to let's do our job. right
0: And, and it, it impedes growth. It impedes growth. Like, when, when people are like afraid to say things when they're like, well, Sally, you know, is kind of rude to me all the time. Uh, you know, it, it, it really hurts the, the, the overall objective, which is growing the company. Right. You know, cause everything happens so much more slowly when there's negative people. Right. And like, I, I'm, I'm, I always wonder, you know, when there's a negative person in, in a company, why aren't they fired sooner? And why, why is there, the relationship with that employee dragged out for so long. Normally,
1: well, there's you a know? couple different things I've I've seen. Um, one, I mean, f- uh, terminating an employee is is uh, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard because there's legal implications, and you know, sometimes you got to make sure you do it the right way. Otherwise, it's a mess for your company from a legal perspective. So that that's that's number one. Two, um, you know, a lot of people like to be liked. <laughs> they don't want to be the bad guy not that you take great pleasure in firing somebody. Uh, It's tough. And I've, you know, I've had a fire probably a dozen people over my career and it's never easy Eh, with the exception of one person, which I actually took kind of pleasure getting rid of that person. um, (laughs) That was, that was the one in Sydney that really kind of just, okay, you know what, this one you've earned, you've earned this one. So (laughs) it's, uh, you know, it's, it's tough for people. People, people don't like to see other people suffer. They don't like to see other people, you know, have, have trouble. So from a management perspective, it, it, it can be messy. And so people don't like to, they don't want to confront that. They'd rather, well, eh, let's try to sweep this under the sweep this away and other companies. And we'll just transfer that person around the different departments or they'll just say, look, ignore her and do your job, ignore him and do your job, those kinds of things. And it's not easy to do that. It's really easy to say. Um, How would
0: you transfer to, like this, the person from department to department, What the department that you transfer them to be a little bit, Upset with that, or frustrated, like you just transferred somebody that nobody wants to be in their department.
1: Sometimes that happens. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes I mean some companies are big enough where you don't know who that person is, or they'll okay instead of working out of our San Francisco office, now you're going to work out of our Fresno office.
0: Instead of firing them, it just seems it seems like
1: yeah, that's that's what they do. They did they just push the problem off to somebody else because again, they see firing as a big messy legal problem, and they may not have a real you know from a true justification of this person came in and punched another employee, um, which then it makes it firing very easy, but it's just like, look, this person's negative. They're not performing up to the standards. Those kinds of things. So there's a lot of documentation and there's a lot of different processes from an HR legal perspective. You have to follow to do that. Right. Yeah. You're oh. yourself up to a whole litany of, you know, it could be age discrimination. It could be sexual discrimination. It could be racial
0: discrimination. There's a whole lot of things. Oh, that- God. In Cali- are, you,
1: are you guys in California? We're basically, yeah,
0: we're here in California. Oh, yeah. Paga claims. Those those are the worst.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, again, and, and those are yeah. the things that uh, companies try to avoid. And so they look at it and go, look, is this easier to shovel this person around from department, to, from department to department rather than let's just get rid of this person? Or, you know, some other companies will say, let's let's, make a, uh, right, man. We'll, let's let's make their life hell until they decide to quit. Well, sometimes it becomes a battle of wills. And I think, th- I, to me, the easiest thing is to say, look, this isn't working out, there um, you go. And companies can protect themselves with that, right? I mean, you can have probationary periods, you can, all these things you can, but you gotta be able to document it as you're going forward and say, look, you've got a 90 day period here, you've got a performance improvement plan here we're gonna work on and you've got 90 days. And if it, we don't see these improvements in 90 days, you're out. And right. you know, so, and, and that's a legal way you can protect yourself on those things. And I'm sure the HR listeners out there will correct me on some of this stuff because this is their job. But uh, this is what I've learned over the time is as long as you've got your ducks lined up correctly, um, you can do it and you can do it, you know, from a, a confident legal perspective. I do find it funny every so often, you know, a few people that I've had, two people that I've had fired said, oh, I'm going to sue this company for all it's worth. A lot of bluster. You never, they, you never hear from them again.
0: Yeah. So the more aggressive claims, they never come to fruition. Yeah. But it's, it's like when, when somebody's a little too silent, it's like, oh boy.
1: Yeah. At worst, they, at worst they do is they, uh, they they unlink you on LinkedIn.
0: <laughs>
1: so I laugh at that and uh, and that's about the extent of it.
0: That's funny. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, cool. So honestly, I, if I didn't have another appointment coming up soon, this would probably be an hour and a half podcast. Um, but yeah, I have to I have to end this podcast. How how uh, do does anyone who is listening to this podcast? How do they get in touch with you if they potentially want to use job form as for enterprise or just, just in general, um, you know, startup.
1: Yeah. If they want to, if they want to use JotForm, just go to our website. It's uh, jotform.com, J-O-T-F-O-R-M.com. And they can find me on uh, LinkedIn. So that will be the best way to reach me. Uh, It's Steve Hardert on LinkedIn. It's
0: H-A-R-T-E-R-T. And uh, that's where I'm at. Awesome.